0: Uh, we're on the last couple chapters. We have 15 and 16 left. We're going to spend a couple weeks on 15, and then we'll do a little review week and 16, and then Lord willing, we will, beginning of the new year, move to Genesis and kind of start some of the prep on that. But, we'll that. Um, but this last chapter of, I was telling Carly yesterday, this last chapter of First Corinthians, I really feel like or next to last chapter, mm-hmm. we could spend an entire year on. It is such a powerful, incredible chapter, and so I want to take a little bit more time on it. We're going to take a couple of weeks, but we're not going to do it perfect justice. Um, so we're just going to start moving through it, chip away. A couple of thoughts before we move into it. Do you agree with this statement? Our perspective on the future determines how we will live today. Uh, can you give any? Practical, just simple examples of how that makes true. If you know you're dying tomorrow, you're going to do certain things with your money. Yeah, you're going to, to or even with your time. If you had no oh, today, oh, so that's going to affect how you live the rest of the day out of Any other examples? Yeah, and I'll i say like even what you're convinced of even more will determine the future. When you said that, I just thought if we were all convinced that the economy was going to totally collapse by the end of this week, people would be making financial decisions that they otherwise wouldn't make. You might be pulling all the money out. You might be buying gold. You might be stockpiling through, whatever it would be. You might be making sure, but what would that be based on because you're convinced that something's going to happen in the future right and so what we believe about the future really does and then maybe the other side of the extreme would be if i think i got another 50 years here that's going to probably determine what i need today <clears> or <throat> the next day in the next, next few weeks but if i'm like yeah that lucky it's going to totally change way we live. this passage is that's at the heart of this passage. What's happening in the future and what we're convinced of for the future should be dictating what happens with us today. Um, And kind of based on that, why is having hope, promise, or confidence about the future important? What per- happens to a person who doesn't have it? Why is that important? So I talked to, talk to a buddy regularly who, you know, he listens to a lot of Christian stuff, and the, the guy who he listens to, and I, I like that too, but he's been more and more going towards this is what's going to happen, start stockpiling the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, him and I talk, I'm like, so you can prepare for 20, 20 things, and the 21st thing that you didn't prepare for maybe what actually happen. And so, I would agree with you to a degree, but based on God's word, there are some things we can 100% count on. There's a lot of things we absolutely can but there are some things we can absolutely care. So, for the Corinthians, what uh, Paul is apparently is writing this chapter to them, because there were some in the Corinthian church that thought, we are not going to be resurrected. Like, you die, you go into the ground, or, and you just rot, and you cease to exist, or that you die, and you just kind of turn into this, you know, spirit that just cruises around. But what Paul is saying is, like, no, Christ rose bodily, and we are going to rise bodily too. So the first part, the first quite a few verses, he's defending the idea that, no, Christ Literally rose from the grave, and then he's going to make the point, kind of describe and explain that we too will rise from the grave. And so, just like that song, because I know he lives, yeah, I, I have I can face tomorrow knowing that he lives today, and so as he teaches this, he's kind of given us the idea that. How we live today is determined on what we think about the future. And these guys, if you take just kind of a step back and look at the book, they were very much living for the moment. They weren't necessarily being eternally minded. So as he begins wrapping up the book here, he's helping them get focused on an eternal perspective and the idea that if you have an eternal perspective, it should dictate the way that you live today. So kind of the main idea of this chapter is Christ's resurrection provides us with promise. And So you think about the example of a compass. <clears throat> and a compass, where does a compass point to? Oh. That's right. It points to the north, to the magnetic north. But where essentially is that? Like if we just kind of had to say, we're making it over simplistic. The North Pole, right? It's pointing to the North Pole, somewhere way, 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 way over there. It's not pointing towards Terra Shopping Center. It goes beyond, it goes far, far beyond all of that. But if you're gonna take a journey and the first few steps of your journey and you're headed north, there's something pointing way, way, way out to the future, way, way, way out to the distance, but that's gonna determine if I go this way, this way, this way, or this way. And so that's the same idea here, having our parts. That's why I say being convinced of something in the future, not just going like, yeah, I know. But having our hearts set on that, just like you would set a compass and it's set on that. It's going to dictate which steps we take through our everyday. And if you're like me and probably most of the people in this room, we're probably not thinking about the fact, we're not thinking that far in the future. We're thinking what's going to happen this week, okay? What's going to happen this month, this month? What's going to happen this year? What's going to happen with our economy? What's going to happen to our country? But we're typically not fixed on the idea of being raised up from the dead. And that's what the point is. Just set your sights on what's going to happen this year. Set your sights on what's really going to end up happening. The big picture. Does that make sense? All right. So this first chunk, he's, he's kind of uh, establishing that Christ literally was raised from the dead. He was literally given a new body. And he's saying that that's based on reality. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a concept. It's not an analogy. It's not just a picture. It's not a legend. And, and I would ask, do you believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and we'll talk about this, the point of they, they always say buried because they want to make a point. You don't bury a dead person. He was buried and that he actually rose again and is alive today. That's the point that Paul's making. Do you believe? Is that something that you can 100% confidently say? And that's what he's trying to help them do. Like, I know it. true. I am convinced. So first he talks about this defense. His first defense is Mm -hmm. he's going, hey, you guys are the ones who believe the gospel. And this resurrection message is part of the gospel. I do want to kind of address two things with these couple verses that uh, you may kind of go like, wow, that's confusing. He's going to say, by which you are also Mm -hmm. saved, the gospel. The truth of the gospel saves us he says if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you we can talk about this more if you want to talk about this more but when we talk about being saved it doesn't always just mean that I am justified and I'm going to heaven being saved can also mean being saved from the power of sin today and I believe what he's saying is the gospel saves you and gets you to heaven but you also are saved every day by believing the truth of the gospel. If you don't buy into the gospel every day, sin is going to be beating you over that. You're going to get tripped up. You're going to get snagged. You're going to get snared. You're going to get enticed if the gospel is something you believed in and then turned away. And so what he's saying is your our salvation continues by believing and continuing to believe the gospel. And then he says, Unless you believed in vain, he says to this group of people. And this, in essence, what he's saying is like, Unless you never even believed what I told them. In the first place. So this will make sense once you're in person, but I kind of wanted to set that up. What he's telling them is like, hey, You guys believe the truth. You already believed that Christ was raised from the dead. You already bought into this. Why are you so confused that we would be raised? Okay. So he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which we're going to talk about here. I told Carly, we're going to get as far as we get. I'm not going to get panicky, which I sometimes do about getting through this. We're going to get as far as we get, but he says, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. So they accepted it. They embraced it. They took it. Just like uh, if someone goes comes and delivers something to you, the Amazon guy comes and delivers, the UPS guy comes and delivers something to you. And you take it, and you bring it into your house. You've received that. You've accepted that. You've taken that in. And that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, you guys believe in the gospel. Well, you received it. You took it in. Right? You could just take it, with the Amazon guy could show up, and you just kind of look at it. And just leave it on the doorstep. Sometimes that's what people do with the gospel. Good news of Jesus Christ comes and they're kind of just checking it out for a while. they am kind of just considering it, kind of mulling it over. But what he's saying is, you guys received it. Not only did you receive it, you're standing in it. And again, that's why I think this point is, it's not just something we receive. It's not just something like, do you believe in you? received Jesus right now? Or like, yes, I believe in Jesus. Okay, cool. You're going to heaven. Now do whatever you want. We continue to stand in the gospel. We need to be standing in this gospel. Uh You need to stand in the gospel, which I'm going to get to in a minute. He's going to talk about what it is. You need to stand in the gospel each day of the week. And so he says, By which you are saved, we continue to be saved from the power of sin if you hold fast, if you cling to the gospel message. That's important for us to do. Again, sometimes we're like, Yeah, I. I bought into that, I prayed a prayer, whatever that is, that's not what he's talking about. He's like, you received it, you bought into it, you accepted this message, and now you're standing in it, and now you're clinging to it, or cling to it. Unless you never really bought into it in the first place, which could be in this case. Uh, unless you never even believe that in the first place. So what is the gospel, we'll get into in a minute. What he's going to do now is he's going to start giving some names, of actual people to show, like, hey, this is true. So, his first defense is you guys bought into it. You accepted it. You believe that Jesus Christ was written. Now, he's going to give some names. So, here's the gospel, though. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. He received the gospel message and he delivered it to them. And they received it. They took it in. Many here have taken it in. Many hear of standing in it and stood in it this week. And that's what we are called to do, to continue standing in it. And what is he standing? That Christ died for our sins. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? When we say he died for your sins, that means he died because of your sins. And he died in place of you because you're the one who should be. Dying because of your sins, and he died in the sense that he accepted God's wrath, so that we would not have to accept God's wrath. He was sinless, yet he wore all our sins. He took all our sins on, and he paid for those sins. He died for our sins. That's the gospel. What does gospel mean? You guys probably know this. What is gospel? It's the good news. Is this good news that he died for your sins? He died in place. He died to pay for the sins that you could not pay for. Do you accept that? Do you buy into that? Will you receive that into your heart that he paid for and bought me out of the slave market? He died for my sins. Will you stand in that? Did you stand in that this week? Or did you sin and then feel like a big loser, big fat loser, God hates me and I need to stay away from God. Maybe I'm not even saved in the first place. Or, or are you standing in the gospel? Because this is what we are supposed to stand in. All week want. No, he died. He already paid. That sin I did this morning, I was already paid for 2,000 years. He paid for it. Why would I make myself pay a price again today? He already paid for it. There may be some... But eternally, And says, according to the scriptures, which I'm going to explain in a few minutes, and that he was buried. And a lot of times it's like, why did they have him, did they have him buried? He died, that's important. Is it really important that they mention he was buried? Because it brings to light this other vital part that he rose again. That means he actually died. He did die for our sins, he was buried. It's a fact. He didn't just go into a deep sleep for a few hours. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. He's saying, you guys bought into this. You guys accepted that. You believed it. So that's one of the things. This is, is it real or not? That's what he's telling me. you. You accepted it. Do you believe that Jesus Christ? So I am just want to ask you, and you don't have to answer it but just for you to internalize. One, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sin, your sin, your sin, not the sins, your sin, and that he paid for all your sin has already been paid for. You buy into that. You buy into the fact that he actually died. And you buy into the fact that he actually was raised and is risen and alive today. And can you stand in that this week? That's an important thing for us to do. To that, uh, again, here we have our according to the scriptures. And then here's where he starts going. He was seen by Cephas. Who knows uh, who Cephas was? Peter. He was seen by Peter. Then the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Of whom the greater part remained to the present. In other words, he's going, hey, if you want to, you could go track down some. Now, he's speaking to them, the people in Corinth. He's going, if you want to track some of these folks down, you can track a lot of them are still alive, he was telling You want to go find some of these guys that saw the risen Jesus, there's over 500 of them, and a lot of them are still alive, he said. Some remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That doesn't mean they're asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. So all of these people, saw Christ. So again, we're putting our hope in the resurrection. It's not just a tale. how many people typically in a court case do you need, I mean in, in Jewish law, there's a certain number, but just in a typical court case, how many eyewitnesses would you want? How many would be a solid bank of eyewitnesses? If you were in a court case, like, so you guys watch Dateline. How many people do they usually have? They're like, oh yeah, they had a solid amount of witnesses. Two, three, mm-hmm. four. That's Jewish laws. Two to three. If you had over 500 witnesses, that would be pretty locked in deal, right? And that's what he's saying. Over 500 people. Now he gives this other... Uh, I want to go to a to the scriptures, so what he's saying here is this was not only just pulled up in the scripture. so you can go into the Old Testament and you can find scriptures that talk about the Messiah will be raised again. This was kind of a mystery to a lot of the people, but essentially, what he's saying, he's not just going, You can come find a couple of verses. What he's saying is the whole Old Testament is pointing to the fact that things got wrecked in the garden and things will be redeemed through the Messiah that there's going to be a great, the, the Messiah is going to lead a nation, he's going to over, uh, lead the world, he's going to make everything great again. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. That's all Old Testament stuff. And so what he's saying is, all the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ having this kind of victory. The whole Testament was pointing towards it. So when we talk about Christ being raised, it's not just an Easter message, it's the message of the Bible. He is completely victorious. That's the message here. He's going according to, to the scriptures, he is the one who's gonna make it all better. And so then he goes, uh, hey, here's some eyewitnesses, and now he's gonna go. Not only did they see, but I also. They anyone know where Paul saw Christ? Right. The road to Damascus. He saw the risen Christ. Do you remember he was blinded? But he was on the road mm-hmm. to Damascus. Does anyone remember? I know Rob will have it. That's good. I appreciate that. I want to see if anyone else knows what did Jesus say to him. He called him Saul. Saul, why are, persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting Jesus. He was... I mean, By Jesus, you're like, Jesus was already made. Because he was persecuting the church. And Jesus said, those people are so much my people. You're persecuting me. And so Paul had an experience with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He saw the risen Savior. And so he's going, there was uh, Peter. There was James. There was the apostles. There was 500. And there was me. Is what he's as fame and then he's going to talk about you know what. Essentially, I'm this. Uh, some of the wording could even be even more harsh than this, but essentially, I'm kind of the scumbag one, is what he's saying. But praise God for the grace He had on me, and that's kind of this idea. He's, Paul's response was to offer back great service to God. So he has that we're gonna read this here in just a second. What he's going is the risen savior appeared to a guy like me, Says, and last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, Paul. Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Jesus would lose. But by the what? Grace of God. What's grace? It's an undeserved gift. By this undeserved gift of God, I am what I am. And his grace, his undeserved gift towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. But the grace of God, which was in, in essence what he's saying, this risen Savior showed up to me, one who was persecuting him. And God gave me this wonderful grace and allowed me to be one of these apostles, one of his messengers. And so what did I do with that grace I received? I just sat on it, cruise, I had cruise control. And first on into the 38th, right? No. He's like that. I took that grace. And I labored, I sweated, I strived, I strained even more abundantly than the rest of them. And if you've ever been around somebody who's received something that they absolutely didn't deserve, and very often you will see that kind of art in them. They're going to make do, or they're going to make uh, the most out of what they've been given that they did not even deserve that big, huge second chance. Paul's saying that's me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. So he's going, you might have believed through this apostle or that apostle, but you guys bought in this message, and you believe the truth about Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins. He was buried, and he was raised again. All these people saw him, and I saw him. Okay? You guys with me? All right. Now... He's going to make and explain okay let's say this was all a hoax now there are a lot of people out there even in churches that will say I can't even think of it right now a swoon it's the swoon theory that Jesus uh, was crucified and then he went into the grave and he was in a state of kind of unconsciousness coma like state for you know three nights and then he came to came out. That's not the message. What Paul is saying is that if the school theory is true, then I'll, I'll tell you what he's going to say. But there are churches that believe that and think like, well, it's a metaphor. Christ raising from the dead is a metaphor for us having a new look on life and a new fresh chance. It's not a metaphor. He physically rose from the grave. We will physically, those who put their faith and trust in Christ, will physically raise from the grave. And if Christ didn't, and this should be one of those things that it either gives you confidence or repels you from all of this. And if you can't bind into Christ being raised from the dead, then this whole thing is a bunch of malarkey. We're wasting our time here. We should go find something else to do. If you think the raised Christ is an analogy, or the swoon theory is true, then all of this is nonsense. Don't believe me? Here's a false. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead? So, so some people are in, like, the dead can't be right. He's like, Christ was raised. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, and Christ is not risen, then christ is not risen so if there's no resurrection then how could it christ, christ rise and if christ is not risen then here's here's what's true if christ is not risen our preaching is empty so this is just a bunch of places. and your faith is also empty and we are found false witnesses I'm a liar right now. Christ. So, this is kind of an all or nothing message to give Do you buy into this or do you not buy in? And it's really helpful, I think, because we get so distracted with so many things. And it's good to be reminded of this and go, Wednesday, am I going to be bought into the fact that Christ is alive? And if I do buy into that, it's going to change how I live that. I'm standing. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if in fact He did not raise up. In other words, we're, just, we're liars <clears throat> we're a resurrection. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. <laughs> so essentially, it would be like, uh yeah, the guy uh Frank, the guy named Frank, uh, down on Dunlap in 43rd, died for my sins. He'd be like, So, what does that mean? That would do no good. Frank has no ability to deal with your sin. But if the Messiah, Jesus Christ, died for your sins and rose again, it shows that he has power over sin and power over death. So you can buy into it. And what he's saying is if Christ didn't, then you are still in your sin. It would just be like any Joe on the street saying they're going to die for your sins. Who cares? I don't need John or Scott or Tim or Tommy or Tony to die for my sins. It doesn't matter if they die for my sins. I need someone who can die, pay for my sins, and have power over those sins and power over final death. That's what I need. Or I don't we either have it or we, don't. we do, right? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So, basically, saying, You know, all your, your great grandma who believed in Jesus, she's nothing more than a rotting person, you know, Uncle Tony who died uh six months ago, and you guys are like a place. <laughs> that's kind of what he's saying here. He's like. It's all a bunch of malarkey if you're not buying into the resurrection. It's all a colossal waste of our time and energy and belief. Put your faith in something else, put your faith in the economy. But it's not malarkey, it's the truth. That's his point. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men supposed to be pitiable, pity almost pity. <laughs> So imagine this, we're telling you, sacrifice your life for Christ, give up your life for Christ, believe in Christ, live for Christ, forsake yourself, forsake sin, even as fun as it can be sometimes, Dude, turn your back on all that and follow Christ. He's like, we're going to be the most miserable people in the world if this is a bunch of We're losing on both sides. We have no fun here on earth. That's kind of what he's kind of getting at, even though that's not true. We, we do as believers, but he's going, you're making sacrifices. And even for him, as an apostle, he's making all kinds of huge sacrifices. He's like, it's a bunch of homies. Then this is a huge pity. I got a miserable life ahead. And nothing to look forward to after. So again, these verses, he's pointing to the fact that It's true. Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And our faith, we are still not in our sins. We are not still in our sins. And our life is not pitiable because we are knowing that there is something better in the future. So if the resurrection is not real, the message we promote is worthless. Our faith is worthless. We're liars giving false information about God. We're still in our sins. The dead are gone forever. Our hope is only temporary. That's bleak, isn't it? But it's not true. That is not the case. So can I say I regularly stand in the gospel, including the fact that Christ? Died? And I ask myself this question: this week, this month, have I been standing in the fact that Christ died for my sin? Am I standing in the fact that Jesus Christ is alive right now? If not, which I we can get really distracted, then what I standing, what's my foundation? What's my stability? Because that will give us stability knowing that Christ died for my sins. He wrote. That gives me stability. if not, I'm getting stability somewhere else. Maybe it's my health, maybe it's my family, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a banking account, whatever it is. I'm getting my stability somewhere. But if you're not putting it, your hope and standing in the gospel, then you're putting your hope in something that is going to be shaped, can be shaped. When I think of the future, do I think beyond this or through life? When I say to you and for myself, I know I think this, when I think like, so what does the future hold? I immediately think, uh, in 15, 20 years, for our country. Like that's what I'm thinking. Typically when I say that, we you guys think the future hold. We don't have to think that short. We can go, I know what the future holds future holds me with a new body in the presence <laughs> of Christ. Living here on, on a new earth. That's good news. Not thing in heaven. Not floating around on a cloud, singing songs. But we will be, which we'll look at later, we're not going to get to it today. We will have a physical body in a physical. That's something to look forward to. If I was fixated on the eternal hope and promise I have in Christ, how might my week be different than usual? So, again, I ask this. Maybe you're like, be no different. I believe. This so maybe you did that. For some of us, on and off, we be. <clears throat> but what does it look like? What would be different if that's what we were fixated I'm just going to quickly run through these verses as a preview. We're nowhere near uh, this chapter, uh, what we we're going to get through today. But I just want to kind of talk about the promise of new life. Paul told us what would be true if Christ was not risen. We just read, but since He is risen, we have these promises. Christ is the first fruits or prototype of our resurrection. The first fruits. What first fruits would be? And sometimes in Scripture, you'll say, "Bring me your first fruits." So essentially, what first fruits are? They're a Bibley word uh, or a agricultural phrase for when a harvest happens. It would be the first fruits from that harvest. So you know how it is every spring; stuff starts going, and all of a sudden you got bags of lemons and oranges in here that people have brought. It would be looking at those very first fruits and going, "What kind of season?" They're all puny and sour, or they're all so. It's kind of saying like that's the prototype of what the rest is going, the rest of the fruits are going to look like. And so what he's telling us is Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. When we look, like, what are our earthly bodies going to be? We know by looking at Christ. What do we know about Christ? Risen. He ate food. But so we're going to probably be eating food third bucks. What else? He was recognizable, not a hundred percent recognizable, because some guys were with him for a while, and then after talking to him, they're like, "That oh, was Christ." So it was there was something recognizable, yet something not an exact. Yes, yeah, something new, but also not an exact representation of who he was. What else can you know? He was a carpenter, his first... But what did he do afterwards? you remember? He walked through a wall. He just... So there's something physical, yet something... spiritual, mystical, something about that body. That's the prototype for us. And so I, I just want to read through the rest of these that another man, Christ, brought the promise of resurrection to mankind. So in other words, because of Christ being raised, we have that promise. Because Christ was made alive, we'll be made alive. First Christ was raised, then the dead in Christ will be raised at the rapture. I have a chart here. Um, I'm going to wrap up there. Um, That we have something to look forward to. We the harvest has begun. Our being raised isn't going to happen until Christ returns. It says, the scriptures say, we will die. And if Christ returns, we here in this church believe in a rapture. Or most of us do that, or some maybe don't. But what we believe, the scriptures say, it says, the dead in Christ will be raised first. And so that means your grandma that believed in Jesus Christ, she will be bodily raised up, and then those who are living at the rapture will be lifted up or go up and meet in, in the clouds. So essentially, when Christ returns, if, this may sound like, uh, how do I buy into this? I, I want to make sure we understand. It. We buy into it because we buy into the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. So we can buy into the fact that this is we will be raised and we will be given new bodies and the new bodies that we have and new minds we have are not going to be plagued by sin at all and I think there will be some form of honor just like Jesus Christ had his scars and I don't think this means you're going to have your scar where you uh, you know, bought little Johnny in the playground and split your lip open and you got that scar to show off in heaven But I believe if you sacrifice your life, maybe that there would be some kind of, uh, for Christ, maybe there would be some kind of recognizable mark to identify that there's something that's some things that are going to be recognized. It's going to be a real body that we have. That should determine how we live today. Now, let me just kind of take a step back. So what? So, what about this Like You guys came in here, you sat, you listened for 40 ish minutes. So, what? What does this mean? What does this mean for this? What should we do with this message? Good news, bad news. Good news, okay, you got that part done. What else? What does it matter? What does this message matter? Is this message going to matter? It's going to be like, no, oh, so it's just kind of news. Hope for the week. Okay. after yeah. That's part of what I was thinking about. What's going to happen with our country? What's going to happen with my family? What's going to happen with my body? What's going to happen with my health? What's going to happen with my finances? What's going to happen? With this I don't know any of this, but I can know this. No matter what, I'm going to be with Christ, and I'm going to get like that's some good news. Anything, no matter what. So this should be a message of hope for this week that you can fix your day. So my challenge to you would be fix your days out a little further. If you've gotten sidetracked with what's right here, fix your days out a little further knowing that you have a promised future that is awesome. Let's close the word. Father, I thank you that you do live that your son lives, that the Holy Spirit dwells us, that we have you with us all the time, that we are one day going to experience that. About the sin and the cloudiness and confusion of all the other things that distract us, health problems, finance problems, just all the messes in this world that weigh us down, Father. Thank you for that hope that we have because of your son. I thank you that even now we can live of the burden of shame and guilt over sin, we can live in forgiveness and cleansing and newness. And we know that our spirit has been made new. Help us to stand in that this week. Help us not to stand in guilt and shame and regret and remorse and discouragement and depression, mm-hmm. but help us to stand in hope for the future. Help us to stand in the promises that you give us. I pray that each person who's here, they will leave here feeling filled up, blessed, encouraged. And for those who aren't here, God, I just pray that you would master that and what each person needs. We thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday.